Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I'm your host, Howard Sides, and today we're continuing our study in the book of Revelation. And we are in chapter 13 today. Uh, last podcast, we started verse 1 and it took us an hour to get through verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. So I'm kind of hoping we can get through the rest of this first point today. Uh, now, chapter 13... Uh, as a title for this chapter, uh, it would be Satan's Regent Princes. Satan's Regent Princes. And the chapter is divided into two. It talks, of course, in the first part, verses 1 through 10, about the Antichrist. Uh, the title there would be the False Prince. The False Prince. And verse 11 through 18 would be the False Prophet. The False Prophet. And so we started... Uh, on the Antichrist, and surely, <laughs> I hope we can pick up about eight and a half verses here today, <laughs> as it is, so we can get this done, okay? Or, yeah, eight and a half verses. Yeah, 2B through 10. All right, so uh, let's read where we're going to be and uh, pick up the points that we're covering. Uh, so, uh, let's see, we're going to start in the middle of verse 2. It says, And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one, start verse 3, and I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his head, deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given unto uh, him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. All right, so in our last podcast, we were talking about the false prince. Verse 1 uh, was the first of three points, the family likeness, the family likeness. And then the first part of verse 2, uh, represented by 2a, as I write it down, uh, is the family lineage. Today, uh, verse 2b through 10, we're going to talk about the family legacy. The family legacy. And even it's divided up into uh, sections. Of course, that long of a section is probably going to be. Uh, it's going to talk, first of all, in two, verse 2b about his power. Verse 3 and 4 talks about his popularity. And then verses 5 through 10 talks about uh, his purposes, and then we'll cover them as we get to them. <clears throat> so, first of all, his power. Now, it says here at the end of verse 2, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Now, the word power here uh, is the Greek word dunami. Dunami, that's D-U-N-A-M-I-S. Dunami, uh, which is defined as force. Uh, 
especially miraculous power, by implication a miracle itself, mighty worker of miracles or great strength. Now, all that the Lord Jesus refused to accept from the devil in the wilderness, uh, temptation, uh, the Antichrist will gladly accept. Uh, it's his little minion, so he's going to take it. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9-10 through 10 tells us, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, the use of the word uh, dunami. Now, Satan had this power before the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, after that, uh, his power was limited. And the word for limited there is the word exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, exousia, uh, thus subject to a higher power or referred to as permission. Uh, and, uh, you know, to a point now we see Satan wasn't just given uh, unlimited power. I mean, think about it. What would it, I mean, he would have wiped every human being off. The, it was limited. Uh and, and we see that in the book of Job, which is one of the oldest recordings timeline-wise uh, of events in the Old Testament, the book of Job, where it says that Satan had to go and ask God permission uh, to mess with Job. <laughs> so uh, that obviously tells us he already had some limitations. It wasn't unlimited. But when Jesus Christ was resurrected, remember uh, that gave Christ the power over death authority over that, and Satan lost that power. Now, in Ephesians 2, 2, Satan is called the prince of the power, or exousia, of the air. So, that's the two different words of power. There's dunami, uh, and then there's exousia. So, after the resurrection of Jesus, Satan's power, dunami, became power exousia. Now, in the present age, the believer has this power for witnessing and soul winning. We have a like power, exousia. The seat here uh, in our passage refers to uh, the Greek word thronos, which means a stately seat, a throne, uh, or a potentate. Now, of course, that's what we would think of when we think of a throne today, like a, a, a for one of a king or a high ruler, this, the chair he sits on. Uh, the great authority refers to Satan giving him the power and control to do as he pleases with no repercussions or rules by which he must follow uh, as far as this power would let him go. Okay, it was limited, but without repercussions from Satan to do what he wanted to do, basically. So Satan was basically letting him, basically giving him all the powers that he had. Uh, to be able to do what he wanted to. And and we see that. I, you know, I mentioned it in the last podcast, too. If you read from verse 1 down through 10, uh, and there was given unto him, and he was given this, and he was opening a ticket, and, and it was given to him, and great power was given unto the... So he never had any power of his own. It had to come from Satan. Okay. So, <clears throat> this refers to uh, his power. Now let's talk about uh, his popularity. In verses 3 through 4. And with that, there's two points to be made of that. Uh, the first one is the reason. Uh, the second being uh, the result. All right, first one. 
the reason. And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. Okay, now the first thing to note about this is that this is not talking about a resurrection of someone dead. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. In other words, it was about to the point where he could die from it. But it was healed. It did not die as it were wounded to death. In other words, it was comparing. It was almost to the point of death. It's not saying this head died and then was resurrected. The phrasing John uses, again, tells us specifically one of his heads were wounded as it were, wounded to death. So Jesus Christ is the only one who has the power to raise from the dead. Satan does not have this power. That is one of the limitations. John chapter 5, verse 28, 29 talks about it. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in the which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. And shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. I, I think so many people think uh, because of the misrepresentation and the misphrasing of John 3.16, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, gave his only son, gave his only begotten son. Begotten changes the entire meaning behind that phrase. But but it goes on to another thing. It says that that whosoever believeth. I've seen signs that say that whoever believes. Whoever is a singularly directed comment. Whoever. That's singular. Whosoever includes everybody. So the idea behind that would lend one to think, well, uh, if I do good, I'm going to have eternal life. If I don't do good, then I'm just going to burn up. I'm going to die, you know, and that's the end of it. That is not, what does this verse say? John 5, 29, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now, if there, if this damnation is speaking of uh, eternal death, why would it resurrect the body? What would be the point? To pass the judgment on and then throw them in the lake of fire to die? No. Nope. Everything Satan does is an imitation or a fake reality. A fake reality of what Christ has done. This so-called resurrection is a blasphemous imitation of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It will be nothing more than an elaborate trick. Again, the people are going to look at this one head of this, and it makes you wonder, what happens uh, that this head is put in the position where it almost dies anyway. Think about it. <laughs> uh, I think it's an attack from uh, someone who doesn't like his policy. Uh, an assassination attempt? Could be. Uh, maybe uh, it's something that he gets out of a, a fight with a creature out of this world, like one of the angels. I don't know. The Bible is not clear what it is. But apparently he... Or maybe it's an accident, something as simple as an accident. A chair falls on his head. Who knows? I don't know what it is. But Satan uses that opportunity to make it look like he's bringing the Antichrist's head, one of his heads here, is bringing it back from death to make it look like he has the power of resurrection. So, um, 
again, <laughs> I was just, I jumped the gun. Uh, my next question here and my next point is how, how, how does this wound happen? Uh, and I, I point it out again. We're, we're not told anything as to how it happens. We, we don't know. It's total speculation as to how it happens. Now, possibly it could be the result of some type of battle or concentration with the two witnesses of chapter 11. Verse 5 says they have the power to kill. At verse 6, they can strike people with a plague. So it is possible that this near-death wound is the product of the two witnesses. But again, this is only speculation. We don't know that for a fact. Um, just doesn't say. Now, as far as the healing of this wound, again, there's been a lot of debate over what this phrase actually means. Some think this could be uh, a resurrected Judas. Others think this could be a resurrected Nero. Uh, now, remember that this will happen to one of the seven heads, not to the Antichrist himself, but rather to one of the emperors. This representation of an emperor is why there is a large assumption that this will, at the least, be looked upon as a resurrected Nero. And listen, that, that phrase, resurrected Nero, uh, if you've never heard that, that that's a very uh, well-known statement that's used out there. And actually, in the early days, uh, 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 or in the days of the early church, uh, th they actually used this phrase, uh, Nero Redivivius. Is that right? Let me read it. Nero Redivivus. There we go. Nero Redivivus. In other words, Nero resurrected, uh, which the Christians fused with the idea of an antichrist. Now, only when we see what Nero was uh, uh, um, only when we see what Nero was able to do do we grasp an understanding of how this resurrection could be so connected with the antichrist? Because <laughs> I, I said what Nero was due. I know that ain't right. My English might be bad, but it ain't that bad. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> now, I'm going to read you. Um, it's a rather long section here. Uh, but, but this is uh, from William Barclay's book uh, on the revelation of Jesus. Um, he calls it the revelation of John. That's incorrect. It is the revelation of Jesus, by the way. Um, and in the copy I have, it's on pages 90 through 92. Uh, it's not a complete three pages, but a good portion of it. But I'm going to quote it. All right, here we go. I quote, No man ever started life with a worse heritage than Nero. His father was uh, Cnaeus Domitius Aenobarbus, who was notorious for wickedness. He had killed a freedman for no other crime than refusing to drink more wine. He had deliberately run over a child in his chariot on the Apian Way. In a brawl in the Forum, he had gouged out the eye of a Roman knight. And he finally died of dropsy brought on by debauchery. <laughs> okay. Uh, his mother was Agrippina, one of the most terrible women in history. When Ahenobarbus knew that he and Agrippina were to have a child, he cynically said that nothing but a monstrous abomination could come from himself and her. <laughs> wow. When Nero was three, Agrippina was banished by the emperor Calig Caligula. Sorry, Caligula. Nero was handed over to the care of his aunt Lapida, who entrusted his education to two wretched slaves, one a barber and the other a dancer. 
Under the emperor Claudius, Agrippina was recalled from exile. She had now only one ambition, somehow to make her son emperor. She was warned by fortune tellers that if ever Nero became emperor, the result for her would be disaster. Her answer was, let him kill me so long as he reigns. Agrippina set to work with all the passion and the intrigue of her stormy nature. Claudius already had two children, Octavia and Britannicus, but Agrippina badgered him into adopting Nero as his son. When Nero was 11 years of age and persuaded him to marry her, although he was her uncle. Agrippina then summoned the famous philosopher Seneca and the great soldier Afranius Burrus to be Nero's tutors. Steadily, Britannicus, the heir to the throne, was pushed into the background and Nero was given the limelight. For five years, the marriage lasted and then Agrippina arranged for Claudius's poisoning by a dish of poisoned mushrooms. When Claudius lay in a coma, she hastened his end by brushing his throat with a poisoned feather. <laughs> Not swift enough, I reckon. No sooner had Claudius died than Nero was led forth as emperor, the army having been bribed to support him. Now, a curious situation ensued. For the next five years, Rome was never better governed. Nero was busy playing at painting, sculpture, sculpturing, music, theatricals. Uh, he was the complete dilettante. And the wise Seneca and the upright Burrus governed the empire. Then Nero stopped being the cultured dilettante and embarked on a career of vicious crime. At night, with other gilded youths, he would roam the streets attacking all whom he could find. Worse was to come. He murdered Britannicus as a possible rival. No young man or woman was safe from his lust. He was a blatant homosexual. He publicly married a youth named Sporus in a state wedding, and he took Sporus with him on a bridal tour of Greece. He was also married to a freedman called uh, Doriphorus. He took Popeia Sabina, the wife of Otho, his closest friend, as his paramour, or mistress, and kicked her to death when she was with child. He had a passion for wild extravagance and extracted money from all and sundry. The imperial court was a welter of murder, immorality, and crime. One of Nero's passions was building. In 64 AD came the great fire of Rome, which burned for a week. <clears throat> there is not the slightest doubt that Nero began it or that he hindered every attempt to extinguish it, so that he might have the glory of rebuilding the city. The people well knew who was responsible for the fire, but Nero diverted the blame onto the Christians, and the most deliberately uh, sadistic of all persecutions broke out. He had the Christians sewn up in the skins of wild animals and set his savage hunting dogs upon them. He had them enclosed in sacks with stones and flung into the Tiber River. He had them coated with pitch and set alight as living torches to light the gardens of his palace. The insanity of evil grew even wilder and wilder. Seneca was forced to commit suicide. 
Burrus was murdered by poisoned drought, which Nero sent him as a cure for a sore throat. Anyone who incurred Nero's slightest displeasure was killed. Agrippina made some attempt to control him, and finally he turned against her. He made repeated attempts to murder her by poison, by causing the roof of her house to collapse, by sending her to sea in a boat designed to break up. Finally, he sent his freedman, Anacetus, to stab her to death. When Agrippina saw the dagger, she bare her body. Strike my wound, she said, because it bore a Nero. It could not last. First, Julius Vindex rebelled in Gaul, then Galba in Spain. Finally, the Senate took its courage in its hands and declared Nero a public enemy. In the end, he died by suicide in the wretched villa of a freedman called Theon. So, that's the history of Nero as it was. <clears throat> so, when it talks about uh, the popularity of the Antichrist, we get a little glimpse into the history of the Roman Empire as to just how desperate and how far uh, some of these people would go for uh, a title of power. Not, not just to be emperor, which was a rare thing, I'm sure, uh, but any, any position of power. It, it's not so much about the money or the riches, it's about the power. Okay, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> throat's wearing out. Okay, so uh, we talked about the reason. Now let's talk about the result. It's very small. Verses 3b through 4. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, who is able to make war with him? Now this, of course, is the ultimate and singular goal of Satan to get man to worship him. That's the ultimate goal. Okay, so we have talked about his power and his popularity. Uh, now the final point, his purposes. Uh, and now he's got four purposes. And we'll talk about them. Uh, let's see, verses uh, five through six, the first purpose, to defy the God of heaven. Uh, the first part of verse 7 is the second one, to destroy the saints of God. Uh, the third one is the second half of verse 7, and that would be to dominate the nations of the earth. And then verses 8 through 10 is the final point, and that is to delude the masses of mankind. All right, so let's talk about them uh, and hopefully finish out this first part of the Chapter 13. Okay, his purpose is to defy the God of heaven. Verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now, the Antichrist's hands have been tied as it pertains to the person of God, the position of God, and the people of God. But, we see here, uh, it's like one of those little, uh, it's not really a bully thing, but it's a, oh man, I don't even know what you call it, but he's basically been reduced here to name calling. That's blasphemy. 
He's just calling out names, nicknames, nah, 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 you know, all this sort of stuff. So, uh, while it would not necessarily be a schoolyard bully tactic, uh, he will have a demonic vocabulary of every evil word Satan can come up with. So don't just think these are little barbs. Uh, these are fiery darts. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay, next point, verse 7a, to destroy the saints of God. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, while we know he cannot harm the saints that are in heaven already, he will be able to attack the believers here on earth, at least those who are not sealed by God. And when you ask the question, well, what do you mean those that are sealed? I'm talking about the 144,000 Jews that are to be sealed back in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 4. Those cannot be touched. God has a specific role and a specific specific person a uh, purpose for them but any of the others that may come about to believe uh the antichrist will uh have i guess you'd say permission uh to go after them um and again uh, i mentioned it before uh, on the last podcast um remember that satan was allowed to persecute Job. herod was allowed to imprison and then behead john the baptist god could have stopped that but he allowed it to go on Pilate even was allowed to crucify Jesus. Now, this war with the saints describes the period of 42 months, which is three and a half years, uh, where he is allowed to use all of his powers to attack the believers on earth. Uh, John Phillips, in his uh, commentary, Exploring Revelation, he says this, and I quote, <clears throat> To war he goes with the refurbished equipment of the Inquisition, with the rack, the thumbscrew, the stake, the boiling oil. To war he goes with his firing squads, gas chambers, long-prepared concentration camps, and death pits. The experience learned in over 60 centuries of torture and terror will be put at his disposal as the annals of hell itself are combined for ideas to expedite the work and make it as fiendish as Satan desires. This is the devil's last fling against the people of God. The great red dragon will drink his fill of blood, and the beast summoned from the sea will be unmasked at last for what he is, a monster with a quenchless thirst for blood. End quote. So, it's like the uh, restraints have been removed. And we can't even imagine, we cannot even imagine just how far that the Antichrist will take that power. We just don't know the limitations. I think there's even new ideas he'll come up with that we ain't even thought up of, uh, thought up of ourselves. That's how bad I think it'll get. <clears throat> All right, now, um, uh, verse 7b, third point. Uh, is to dominate the nations of the earth. And it says there, and power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Now, while Rome will be his base of rule, his power and authority will be acknowledged worldwide. He will be stationed in Rome, but he's going to run the whole, the whole show. Yeah. All right, now, verse 8 through 10, the final point. To delude the masses of mankind. To delude the masses of mankind. Verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. 
If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. <clears throat> now, the mass majority of mankind will trust in the insurance of compliance and will worship the Antichrist. This corresponds with the warning given in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Uh, no, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there, coming, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is God, called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Again, John Phillips, in Exploring Revelation, he says, and I quote, Satan is not against religion. <laughs> in fact, he is the author and inspirer of all false religion. It is the most useful tool to further his ends, for through religion he can channel worship to himself. And that, unquote, and that is a good point. Uh, Satan's not against religion at all. Satan's not going to ban you from going to church. But it's your attitude uh, and it's your heart condition and your spiritual condition of, of, of when you go to church. Uh, how you go to church, I guess, is a, is a better way of putting it. So, basically what the Antichrist is saying here is he's going to become the Buddha of Buddhism, the Mahdi of Islam, the Holy Father of Roman Catholicism, and the Messiah of Israel, uniting all religions of the world into one worldwide church. And that's why I'll say it again before we get uh, to that point more directly. Um, all of the religious stuff that we're going to be talking about, and, and most of it um, I think is going to hit about chapter 17. Yeah, I think chapter 17 is where we get into it. Uh, we've got to refrain from what a lot of people are saying uh, that this false prophet is the Pope and uh, this Babylonian religion is talking about is the Roman Catholic uh, Church. It's not. Now, while I will agree that the Roman Catholic Church will be a major portion of it, it's not the only portion of it. Again, just like that statement said, it's going to include Buddhism, it's going to include Islam, it's going to include Catholicism, it's going to include um, uh, the Hebrews. Uh, listen, let's nail it down. It's going to include Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Protestants, Baptists. <laughs> the name on the church don't mean a thing. He's going to wipe but pull them all together and establish himself as the Antichrist. He'll be worshipped by all of them. And you think, man, that is never going to happen. Hey, uh, once the rapture of the church takes place, it says that God's going to remove his hand and, and said that they're all, they'll all be deceived. You're not going to stand a chance. There are going to be people that uh, after the rapture takes place, we've talked about it a little bit already, uh, that are going to be saved. But I insist and implore you to, to know that it, it, it all surrounds that age of accountability. 
if you're old enough now to know better and the rapture takes place, it's over for you. There is no second chance. It, it's not like people 35 and 40 years old uh, who live with a normal mentality and all of that sort of thing is going to go into the uh, revelation like that left behind series. That's a load of hogwash. That is an absolute lie. Just know that right up front. I mean, it's a good movie for entertainment purposes, uh, but biblically it's a lie. Uh, there is not going to be a second chance. Those people here uh, that, that is talking about that the um, uh, Antichrist is going to be torturing or going after and making war against, they're not going to be people that, that were left over from this day and age. This is going to be a whole new uh, group of people that in seven years uh, they reach the age of, of maturity um, and, and realize the, the age of accountability, however you want to say it. Um, so there it is. Now, verse 10 here reveals an ironic and inevitable twist of fate. Now, those who act as the Antichrist's agents will in turn be given over by him to the very same fate as the believers. Uh, the warning there, if any man have an ear, let him hear. This is the last and final warning, not to any mass or group of people, but rather to every single individual. All the twisted methods of torture and execution await any who would defy the Antichrist. So, here is the patience and faith of the saints. And then uh, the final point here in verse 10. Uh, this phrase is skipped over by a lot of commentaries. I guess they don't really uh, want to touch on it. But it, it says, He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. And I can tell you right up front that there's going to be a lot of people jump on that and say, See, that tells you, the Bible tells you you're not supposed to kill nobody. Well, you're not supposed to kill people. You know, the Bible says thou shalt not kill. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you do have the right to defend your life. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm, the argument can be made that, you know, well, God didn't uh, spare his own life, so you don't have the right to do Well, that that's, anyway, what it's talking about here. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. God is declaring here that the deceiver who leads men captive is destined for captivity himself. And then that the one who kills the saints, he that killeth with the sword, the slayer of the saints is doomed to be slain. And I mean, that's a quote straight out of Romans uh, 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Of course, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But that first part, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, we're born into this world uh, dead to sin already. Uh, we have to be saved from that. Now, that is our Adam nature. Um, but it ends on a great point there, which, which I already mentioned it for. Here's the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, we will need patience to wait God's time of judgment. Uh, those going through the tribulation. Uh, we're going to be in heaven, so it, it's not going to be so much a... Um, a torturous wait, but, but there will be the, uh, uh, you know, Revelation already tells us that uh, some of those are going to be saying, you know, oh Lord, how long? Oh Lord, how long? Uh, so there's going to be an impatience involved for sure. Uh, but as it may be.
uh, <clears throat> we won't face the worst part of it. Okay, so, uh, I, all right, let's just uh, wrap that up uh, there. That's the first part of chapter 13. And then next time we'll get into uh, the false prophet, which is verse 11 through 18. And, and again, th this is where all this stuff that everybody uh, who doesn't read very much of the Bible, uh, they always talk about, oh, you're going to have the mark of the beast. Or you're going to have the uh, number 666 and all this kind of stuff. And, and maybe we'll uh, hopefully clarify um, a lot of that in our next podcast. Okay, so hopefully you'll join me for that. Uh, but once again, let me say that I thank you for joining me on this one. Uh, I certainly hope that you're learning something um, and that you continue to listen, not, not for anything that I'm going to gain out of it. Uh, other, other than, uh, you know, I'm going to put this out there if nobody but me listens to it, you know, it's just something I've wanted to do for a while, but, but I certainly, uh, hope that it is advantageous to someone, but you know, that's the Lord's work, not mine. All I can do is just put the word out there. He has to do the work, right? Okay. So, uh, once again, I'll say thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Uh, I hope you have a blessed day, blessed night, wherever, what time it is you're there. Uh, again, remember to pray for me, pray for each other, pray for our country and the leadership there. And that that's enough. Uh, you, you never end up praying for that enough. <laughs> All right. So, okay, once again, thank you for listening. God bless you and have a great day.